You're listening to Witch Wednesdays, your weekly podcast source for all things witchcraft in the modern world. Welcome back to Witch Wednesdays. I have a guest here with me today, um, and I am very excited to for the chat that we are going to have because it is a completely different practice from mine. So I am going to go ahead and let them introduce themselves and let you know where you can find them online. Hey, everyone. Um, it is a joy and pleasure to be on this podcast talking about something uh, we both love. My name is Mavius Lynn. Uh, you can just call me Lynn. And I am a ceremonial magician and a thelemite. And uh, I've been a practicing occultist for over a decade. Wow. Long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I am so excited, thrilled to chat because as my listeners know, this is not an area that I am practicing in or super familiar with. I kind of know the basics, but I am absolutely interested in diving into what it means to be a ceremonial magician, uh, what sort of you practice. I know you are initiated into a group, so I would love to chat about that and sort of what has been your path to where you are now? How did you get started 10 years ago? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just such a pleasure to talk about these things because, <laughs> you know, it just means so much to me and be able to talk about it openly and inspire others with whatever their path or journey looks like. Um, you know, I, I think that's one of the cool things about, you know, bringing different people on podcasts is you get a different perspective, a fresh perspective on things, maybe a renewed perspective on your own journey or practice, uh, but perhaps, you know, maybe an opportunity to introduce something new as well. Um so uh, my, my journey really began uh, when I was, you know, in middle school, high school, quite young, and I grew up in Florida, uh, which was in a rather conservative area. And unfortunately, there was a movement to remove a lot of deemed inappropriate books from the school library and the public library. So that sort of looked like all LGBT materials were removed. Um, any sort of references to evolution were removed from the libraries as well. And being a really curious child, I was really interested in reading more about evolution and biology and sort of figuring out uh, who I was. You know, even books with LGBT characters were removed. So I didn't get a chance to really understand who I was through reading and exploration. This was at a time before the internet was really what it is today. So I didn't have that as a resource either. So I found myself as a result, uh, reading a lot of philosophy. Um, and when I first picked up philosophy books like Sartre or Camus, a lot of the existentialists, uh, I was really lost. Uh, so it took me quite a while, but I spent my afternoons just reading it over and over again and references to it until it finally clicked. And then eventually I found my way to um, nihilism with like Frederick Nietzsche. And that really resonated with me. And I just sort of uh, fell into this hole of philosophy that eventually sort of sprouted into occultism. And I started a blog online and then I connected with people through that blog. And uh, eventually I made similar thinking friends, people passionate about learning and exploration, um, about spirituality, the occult, and I found myself um, eventually learning about this guy named Aleister Crowley. Um, and so I was like, oh, he has some interesting thoughts. I put him aside, didn't really look into him very much. I mean, there's just so much out there. Like, why would I at the time? 
and then I went to college. Um, in college, I was actually very involved with the free thought movement. And uh, I served as the president of the Free Thinkers organization at my college for several years. And that was a really rewarding experience. Um, interestingly enough, um, and let me just come out and say this, uh, I, I don't endorse Aleister Crowley as a person at all. I think he said some very uh, offensive and ignorant things in his time. Um, nevertheless, he did have a profound impact on witchcraft, the occult, a lot of the thought we have today. But the interesting thing about Crowley was he was a free thinker as well. Um, and he was also involved in this movement, um, you know, and a proponent of critical thinking. So I didn't know this at the time, though. So I continued on my little occult path. Um, I was very academic about it. I wasn't really a hands-on practitioner um, until many years later that I picked back up the occult and was like, hey, you know what? I think I'm gonna practice now. So I um, started actually reading more about Crowley and what he did. And I got more into, uh, you know, various occult things and occult practices, which I incorporate today. And it was through that love and that exploration, um, I got involved in different groups with ceremonial magic. And I noticed online a distinct lack of female voices in ceremonial magic. You just don't see them as much as you do men. And I was thinking to myself, um, and no one should have this thought, but I was thinking, I was like, do I actually belong in this community? Where are the women? You know, where are the LGBT voices? And um, yeah, it was sort of in that spur of the moment, I just decided to start making YouTube videos, uh, start sharing my journey more publicly in a, in a way that was authentic and empowered people to be themselves and explore what spoke to them. I love that. That is, that's an intense history and like place to start. So like you started at like college <laughs> level reading material. Oh yeah. Dive in. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, am very interested in this sort of path that you went down because it is a very cisgender male dominated space that you are in, which I don't think that witchcraft is. Witchcraft leans very female. And how did you decide or like really put yourself out there and decide like, no, I, my voice needs to be out there. Like, was it difficult? Did you even have anyone to sort of chat with and join with? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I felt very isolated. Um, obviously, I had a lot of great male friends and some friends here and there. Um, but I do agree with that. I do agree that it was very cis, heterosexual, very white men dominated, especially in the online spaces. And I think when people first saw me, they saw my videos, they saw my face. There was a lot of assumptions, a lot of ignorance about me as a person and a lot of misinformation. Like, oh, uh, I remember here, here's the funniest thing. Uh, recently, I was actually called a TikTok witch based on how I look. Um, so for our listeners, I, I have long blonde hair and bangs. And, you know, I, I, I enjoy, um, you know, fashion in general. I like, I like jewelry. I like ribbons. I like lace, you know, all of these things. And 
uh, I was called a TikTok witch. And it was funny because a lot of my followers started looking for me on TikTok and they couldn't find me. Well, it's because I've never been on TikTok. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I don't make TikToks. And um, I don't, I don't mind the term being labeled witch, but it's not something I would label myself because I would, I would argue. And of course, depending on your definition of witchcraft, let me just say that. But uh, I, I don't recognize my practices as fitting under the witchcraft umbrella. Um, I think that, but anyway, long story short, uh, yeah, I think there was a lot of, like, people assumed I was something I wasn't when I was this occult practitioner who had been practicing for over a decade, been involved in numerous groups, and very active in my um, in-person community as well. So, yeah, I did feel isolated, and that sort of uh, backlash I got and do continue to get is very real. I think it's a reflection of greater misogyny in our larger society but also in the occult community in general and that was all the more reason that I needed to exist um and that's really what I feel like I do is I just exist in these spaces and I make room for other people and a greater diversity of people to also exist authentically which I love and appreciate and I appreciate that you brought up the idea of like what witchcraft means because I have found that witches will often use witch and occult interchangeably, but those who say that they are practicing occultists or ceremonial magicians don't often use the word witch. So can you sort of explain for any beginners what it means to you to be an occultist and what is ceremonial magic? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think you're going to find like, like you already just mentioned it, um, a bunch of different definitions, um, depending on who you ask and what that practice looks for them. Um, so for me, um, I guess I would define ceremonial magic um, as a type of magical practice characterized by rituals and ceremony um, and the use of ritual implements to aid in that particular usage of magic. Um, so ritual implements as well as garments, attire, and um, typically, you know, this isn't, it's so difficult to talk about such simple definitions because there's <laughs> such a wide, you know, such a wide diversity of how people view these things, even witchcraft and even, and that's why I sort of like, uh, I don't want to say like flopped back and forth there, but I, I hesitate to even define witchcraft because it's going to look for look for different things. But I think if some witches were to see the rituals I do, where we get dressed up in robes, um, we have various implements, the ritualistic aspect of the practice, um, a lot of people would look at those rituals and say that's not witchcraft. Um, and obviously there is some overlap there depending on the definition of the person. Um, but I think it also comes down to this idea of um, high versus low magic, which again, I don't necessarily like that distinction, but I know a lot of people make it. And in general, when we talk about high versus low magic, the distinction sort of comes out from the goals or aims of those particular practices. High magic being perhaps, um, you know, a, an example, and again, there could be overlap, um, but an example of like a high magic a goal would be to return to, um, you know, a more pure form to reconcile opposites, you know, the, to make use of 
the path of return to unify with the divine, to uncover hidden truths about the nature of the human condition or the nature of divinity itself, whereas low magic aim would be to have more boots on the ground practical application of, say, um, you know, a money spell uh, to achieve a specific amount of um, financial gain in the next coming week or month. Uh, it could be an example, could be luck magic or um, things of that nature that are more um, practical. Uh, but, you know, even as I say distinctions like that, I think there's overlap. And um, yeah, I think I think when it comes down to definitions like this, it's as long as they serve you, you know. Yeah, there really are so many and it's going to depend entirely on you know your tradition and i know that on the ceremonial magic side there are more ways to be initiated and more specific traditions to follow that way and those traditions are all going to be completely different from each other based on you know where they are in the world even yeah absolutely so I would love to chat about that because you have been initiated, you used to be initiated into an effort, a Golden Dawn group, and then now you're in a different one. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I would love to talk about that as well. I think a lot of people are very interested to hear about the initiatory experience or, you know, obviously, you know, I took oaths of secrecy around some things, but, you know, to hear about what to expect about initiations and ceremonial traditions. So um, my two initiations were in a Golden Dawn group, and the other one was in the OTO, or Ordo Templi Orientis, and um, I guess uh, I'll just sort of talk about in general what to expect from a ceremonial magic initiation, or initiations in general. Um, of course, it's again going to depend on the group, and what sort of tradition, or even, like you said, where in the world you're initiating, but the purpose of an initiation is to teach something and to impart a specific amount or a specific type of knowledge to the initiate, the person being initiated. And this is done so in a dramatic play of some kind. In ceremonial magic, you can expect tons and tons of layers of different meaning and very specific meaning and done in a way that every little thing, even in the room, even the objects in the room, how many, what you're hearing, how you're hearing it even, is taken into account. The colors used for the ritual, the amount of light used, when the ritual is performed, and at what time, in what order the candidates are initiated is all taken into account in many cases. And one thing, and so when you are being initiated, you can think about it as you're going through a dramatic play and the aim of the initiators is to create a certain amount of i don't want to say stress because that makes it seem like an unpleasant experience but to create a certain heightening of the senses to a certain degree where it, there's a sweet spot right if you're too stressed out if you're too overwhelmed you're not going to retain any information if you're too bored like for example sitting in on a droning lecture class in college, you're just going to, you know, blank out and not learn anything either. You're just going to tune out the person droning on and on. But there's a sweet spot in between just being completely freaked out and like being bored to death, right? And you're going to retain the information so much more. 
And it is going to create an experience where that information, whatever those mysteries are that you're initiating into, whether the, whatever the lesson is, is going to stick to you and stick to you. And, and you could even say stick to your soul. Uh, people often talk about it as an imprint on the soul. Uh, spiritually speaking, not just, uh, you know, a college lecture retaining information, but, you know, obviously different people are going to interpret that differently, even, even depending on how I define soul, but that issue aside, um, yeah, you're going to come out of there with different, having learned something and having experienced something so profound that it's going to shape your life and who you are as a spiritual being. Additionally, oftentimes when people go through initiations like Golden Dawn, like OTO, like many of the other groups, um, they think about that initiatory process as being a karmic accelerator or a boost. It's a little jolt of energy into your practice personally and into your spiritual life. So whatever karma you have going on in the world uh, or like energy wise, you're being jolted, you know, given like a shot of electricity. So you may notice, or some people say they notice um, things happening, good or bad. Everything's happening faster after their initiation. And you can actually go into those initiations with an intention. Um, but I would say the most important thing into going into initiation is to go in with an open heart and an open mind and a desire to be as in touch with your own personal nature as possible, whatever that means. And, and this is, you know, this is very, that perspective I'm talking about is very thelemic. And I know different people are going to have different opinions, but I would say you are the most important person in your spiritual path, right? So if you are trying to force yourself into something where you don't fit, that's not going to work. Treat it as an opportunity to know yourself better and to fill out your own world um, as much as possible and as thoroughly as possible. I think that's a great description because I know a lot of people are completely unfamiliar with the idea of any sort of initiatory practice. So that's really interesting that you have all of this great background to share for somebody that's like just coming to this for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so happy to talk about it because, you know, I think any of the stuff I do, uh, you can do on your own. Let me just make that clear. Um, I think there's, first of all, let me just say this. I don't think the occult path is for everyone. I don't think, this is just my take on it. Um, I don't think it is for everyone. And even within the occult, I don't think initiation is for everyone. And that doesn't make you more or less of a person. This isn't about aspiring to get as many occult merit badges as possible and get as many degrees or initiations as possible. That's silly. That's absurd. <laughs> I think your success as a practitioner is entirely dependent on understanding yourself and tuning into your wants and your needs and being as close to yourself as possible. I believe um, we all have an innermost spark of divinity within us, and that is something we should all honor. And that's going to look different from individual to individual. So for me personally, I found initiation um, to be a very meaningful process and really beautiful. And it blew my mind. And it was absolutely right for me. But that's not for everyone. And 
even within a cult, like Thelema, Golden Dawn, any of this stuff may not be for you. You could take a completely different path or take your dream. Heck, you can even start here and end up somewhere else. And that's okay. And we also change over time. That's also um, something to consider as well. And not something to be ashamed of. Right. Yeah. You're not in the same place that you were 10 years ago. It's just yeah, it's absolutely to grow. <laughs> So if somebody were listening to this and they really have resonated with everything you've just said for the last 15 minutes, where could they start if they are new and they're like, I really like all of this information so far and I want to learn more and possibly go down this path myself. Is there a good place for them to start as far as resources? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I would recommend um, checking out Living Thelema by David Shoemaker. Um, he is a um, a trained psychologist and someone who has been in the ceremonial magic community for a very, very long time. And he is an absolute wealth of information. And the way he writes and his lectures and his podcast, also by the same name, Living Thelema, um, are really an absolute wealth of information. And I think that will really give people a taste of what to expect. Um one thing that I think is also really important to mention is um, getting um, a lot of people when it comes to someone like Aleister Crowley, uh, have, they have a political agenda to sell on either way. And so I really, I really strongly recommend someone get the straight facts on Crowley and direct quotes on Crowley to really make up their own mind in an objective way. Um, because yeah, I mean, he he was a traumatized queer man who had to make sense of the world um who was often you know he had a lot of problems and so that could resonate with you depending on who you are and like what you're going through but a lot of the other stuff he did in a lot of his life may not so i'm going to recommend a book called perdurabo by richard kaczynski um and that is a um basically a very historical look at crowley and the author took a very, um, very long time and a very thorough job of going through the actual historical documents of Crowley, what who he was, the life he lived, and put it together without selling you a political agenda, without selling you a narrative. The only narrative you're going to get from Proterabo is that Crowley was the dude. And it's up to you to make sense of how he lived his life, because we just, we just don't see that around the discussion of ceremonial magic and Crowley. And um, I, I'll be honest with you too. Um, I actually get tired of talking about Crowley because Crowley is just like such, I don't know. He really was such a bright, and I don't mean that in like intelligent. I mean, like he was like a nuclear bomb going off, right? The dude was like out there and people have an intense fascination around him. And that's really valid. He was an interesting guy. You know, he did a lot of weird stuff. He did a lot of cool stuff, but he was just a dude. And the women who've been a part of this tradition of ceremonial magic are often glossed over. Uh, we, we, Thelema wouldn't exist without women, believe it or not, um, at all. E either from the very conception of our sacred, sacred uh, central holy text, the Book of the Law, um, that was kicked off by a woman. The preservation, a lot of these texts and the contributions and the continuing current of these traditions all on women. So I'm gonna go ahead and recommend check people check out this woman by the name of Phyllis Seckler. 
Um, she had a lot of fantastic essays you can find online. And um, yeah, she gives a very, a very different perspective on these things from a woman's perspective. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's amazing throughout the history of occultism and witchcraft, how much women have been erased. It's absolutely insane. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, absolutely. And I am so glad that you are out there sharing this information and holding your own in a space that to this day is still dominated by men, because I feel like on the witchcraft side of things and sharing the, you know, the podcast and things on YouTube, like I am in a very like female friendly space, but I think that you are really holding your own and still a male dominated space. Oh, that's such an honor. Yeah. I mean, and you're doing absolutely incredible things. I think your podcast and your channel, um, really gives a diversity of opinions and a lot of resources for people. I think it's people, you know, it's that passion, right? I mean, we can, we can, you know, I guess like beam facts into people's heads all day. But I think ultimately whether or not someone stays is whether or, or gets interested at all is is whether or not it resonates with them. And that comes from people like you and, and the content you make. And I love that, you know, both of us in our communities are so open to that like difference of opinion and what do we think? I mean, nobody actually knows what happens after death or what's going on with the gods. No, there, there is no definitive answer on that. Nothing is set in stone or proven. So you believe what you're going to believe. So it's nice to be able to have a conversation and be able to point people in all different directions to figure out what works for them. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And I think that's a really healthy way to approach any of this stuff is it's your path. It's your story. It's what resonates with you and connecting to that spark of divinity. And however, and however you interpret even what that means. And I think as long as you're on that journey, you're doing the right thing. Well, speaking of what works for you, do you have any sort of practices that you do semi-regularly, whether that is daily, weekly, monthly, since you do so much ceremony, which automatically takes more time and effort and resources. Do you have anything that's like on a smaller scale that you do regularly? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this, I'll, I'll walk you through under an ideal day. Uh, you know, I, I <laughs> which never you know, happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I think two uh, distinct ones that I do that are really awesome. Um, I do um, a solar adoration four times a day at the different solar stations of the sun called Libra Resh or Libra Resh Valhelios. Um, and it is like I described as a solar adoration. So um, I invoke different God forms that correspond to the different stations of the sun. So sun, uh, sunrise, noon, sunset, and midnight. And um, what helps is like setting an alarm for these and then... Um, yeah, I do corresponding uh, signs to the sun as well as, yeah, corresponding signs, I'll just say that. And then I do a recitation of the different solar stations and the corresponding things. And while I'm doing it, I'm actually facing the various cardinal directions that correspond to that. So I'm trying to think of like what that would look like from an outside perspective. Um, I guess just picture me standing <laughs> straight up and uh, doing signs at different cardinal directions and reciting this thing. And it's, yeah, it's really beautiful. Um, doing Libra Rush brings a sense of mindfulness throughout your day. It's really easy to just like work through your day or, 
you know, not break free of the mundane life, I guess, and forcing yourself to do regular intervals of prayer or a solar adoration brings that mindfulness into your day, either to the passing of the sun and connecting you to nature, but it also injects mindfulness into how you're actually living and what you're actually doing and bringing that mindfulness into connecting to divinity, connecting to even yourself and making sure uh, something I would call true will, making sure you are doing your true will and aligning yourself with that divinity. Um, so yeah, that's a pretty cool one. And uh, let me just say this too. Uh, you don't have to be a Thelemite to do that. Uh, you can just be a person. Uh, there's This is not a closed practice. <laughs> you can just go and do this. Uh, and if you like Google Libra Rash, or even if you Google solar adoration, if this resonates with you, maybe that's something to incorporate into your practice. Um, especially if you're trying to tap into those solar currents, uh, this could be a good one for you. Um, and the other one I do pretty regularly, uh, actually I do this daily. I shouldn't say pretty, I, I do this one every day, uh, twice a day actually, is I say will, which sounds like for a lot of people, if you were to witness me doing this thing, they'd say, oh, you're just saying grace over your food. And that's actually not what I'm doing. I'm not humbling myself in front of the divine before I eat. It's, um, I am, it is, I basically do a series of knocks. I say the words, if I'm by myself, I say the words by myself and then do the knocks and then I eat. So the idea is when you say will is to mindfully consume food in a way that fortifies your body and gives you the nutrition. And as we consume food on this earth, on this mortal plane, we're essentially consuming that food and turning it into spiritual substance. So we are, in a way, allowing ourselves on this earth to do our wills. And when you get a group of Thelemites together, we all say will together and we have one person leads it uh, and it's sort of a call back and forth kind of a thing. So it's participatory with the congregants. That's the wrong word. With the people, not congregants. <laughs> a congregants if you're in a mass or something like that, a mass group. But I mean, just in general, just Thelemites. Um, and so, yeah, we, we do a little like callback thing. And then we all mindfully consume our food and turn it into spiritual substance. So those are two things. And again, you, you don't have to be a Thelemite to say, well, um, additionally, I do yoga two or three times a week. That's really important to my spiritual practice. Um, when I say yoga, I don't mean like the Western kind, which is very fitness oriented. I mean like the kind that is very focused on the mind-body connection and meditation. So, uh, which brings me to meditation. So meditation is a huge part of something I do every week, multiple times a week. Yoga is sort of wrapped in as an extension of that. Um, additionally, I, like a lot of people, I do a full moon cleansing ritual every month, you know, landing on the full moon and which I actually, speaking of witchcraft, that looks more like witchcraft than anything else I do. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. So I think people would, would see me do that and be like, ah, oh, yes. Um, and then I also perform about once a month uh, with the fraternity I am in, the OTO, something called the Gnostic Mass. And it is a really beautiful ritual um, that involves 
basically for the participants of the ritual, it's affirming your own divinity and affirming that all parts of you, your gender, your sexuality, your individuality are divine. So um, I'm actually one, typically one of the people performing the mass for the congregants. Um, but when you, when I say mass, everyone sort of has this idea of like maybe like a Catholic mass. Um, it's obviously not Christianity, um, but that's not too far off. I mean, we wear robes, we have the ritual implements. I think someone who's more familiar with like Wicca, for example, would see our ritual implements out there during the mass, um, like the dagger, uh, you know, uh, certain people would call it athame, we call it dagger. Um, they would see a bowl, they would see, um, you know, a glass of wine, um, you know, use of incense. I mean, these are all things occultists and witches we're all familiar with. So I don't think a lot of us would be super lost by what I mean by Gnostic mass. Um, but you can sort of think about it as a mass with the symbolism subbed out for things that we find holy. Um, and it involves that unification with the divine and affirming your place. So the really beautiful part of the mass is when as a participant, you get to go up there and you consume the Eucharist and the wine and you stand there with your arms crossed and you proclaim in front of everyone, there is no part of me that is not of the gods. And that is such an empowering, affirming experience. And um, yeah, I just think that's really beautiful. So however you interpret the gods, whatever your gods are, you're saying, I am divine too and accepting all parts of yourself. That does sound beautiful. And it's super interesting. Everything that you said that you do regularly that, you know, I'm not familiar with your particular practice, but I can see so many parallels of, you know, crossing over to different religions and different practices of all of these base things that you have in common. So that's very interesting to see how everything kind of oversects like that. Yeah, it is. And, um, yeah, I think a lot of our practices don't exist in a vacuum too, right? Like, you know, we see a lot of people sort of sticking their hands in different cookie jars of different <laughs> practices. And I think that's valid. And I think that's beautiful. Uh, you know, as long as there's no appropriation or no, um, obviously taking from, you know, closed practices or anything like that, you know, caveats here. But I think in general, uh, the melding of practices reflects the different individuals involved in different traditions because we all come from different backgrounds and different things are going to resonate with us and that creates some really beautiful exchanges of ideas absolutely well before we wrap up here for the day i want to ask if you have any last minute advice beyond what you've already shared um, for anyone listening that is looking to grow or deepen their practices this year Oh, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would advise people to make this a year of shedding your fear. Um, don't be afraid of either the unknown and don't be afraid of trying new things or trying on different practices, different rituals, different spells, different modes of thinking even. I mean, of course, asterisks within reason, y'all don't, you don't take this to absurd lengths here, okay? But like, I feel like, um, you know, for the most part, um, 
I've, I think my fear of the unknown and my fear of failure really kept me from trying things that I actually ended up loving and made me grow as a person, even if it wasn't for me, even if it didn't work out, that's okay. I learned something about myself and that's beautiful. And that will take you so much further. Even if you are the most experienced person on earth, trying on a new set of glasses to view the world, trying on a new set of practices, whatever that is. If you're practicing occultist, maybe try witchcraft. If you're a witch, maybe pick up an occult practice and see how that feels. And um, I think it'll it'll make your understanding of yourself and the world blossom so much more. That is excellent advice. (laughs) And I cannot agree more. But Lynn, thank you so much for being here today and for sharing all about your practice and your expertise. I know that I learned new things today. I'm sure all my listeners (laughs) did too. So thank you so much for dedicating the time. Absolutely. It has been an absolute pleasure and joy to be here. And thank you so much for having me on. And everyone else out there, have a wonderful rest of your day and best of luck with whatever you're doing. And as always, I will have everything we talked about linked over in the show notes at whichwednesdays.com. And that is everything that I have for you this week. I will see you next week. Need even more? Subscribe to Patreon and YouTube for exclusive bonus content. Order a themed witchcraft box every month through Witch Wednesdays on Etsy. Be sure to follow on Instagram at Witch Wednesdays Podcast. Find all these links and more at witchwednesdays.com.